5 this morning, and uh, we'll read just one verse, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be in verse number 5 uh, in our series or our study uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, that's chapter 5, 6, and 7, and uh, we're just going through these Beatitudes one by one. And seeing what the Lord has to say to us once we get done with these, maybe it'll move uh, a little bit faster. Some of the sections will take several verses in one uh, in one section of preaching. But right now we're doing these uh, these nine beatitudes one by one. Uh, if I could get a little bit more monitor, I would be eternally grateful. Maybe that was a stretch. Probably won't be eternally grateful. I'll probably forget by tonight, but I would be momentarily grateful. How about that? Uh, I bless the Lord. He's good to us, isn't he? Uh, we had a big crowd go yesterday to the meeting in, in Holy Ground. Brother Mark Stroud preached Friday night. Uh, the Lord let me preach Saturday morning. Had a great time. Uh, God met with us, and I'm grateful. Appreciate all of you going, or those of you who let your children go uh, thank you for that. Uh, got some busy days ahead. I'll, uh, myself, Brother Tripp, Brother Seth, my son Levi will fly out Saturday uh, after Daniel and Leela's wedding. We'll fly out to Albania, fly back the following Saturday. It'll be a short trip. Uh, I'll get in late Saturday night, uh, preach here all day Sunday, and then uh, I am preaching Sunday night in uh, let's see, what is that, the first Sunday in, in September, I'm preaching uh, in um, Powder Springs, Georgia, and this, the meeting starts at 8 o'clock that night. Uh, and it's a Labor Day weekend meeting, it starts at 8 o'clock, I'm the 10 o'clock preacher. So I'm flying in from Albania, and I did it to myself. Uh, I'm flying in from Albania that Saturday, uh, driving from Atlanta, preaching here all day that Sunday, and then uh, driving back after the evening service to, uh, to back to Atlanta, Powder Springs, and preaching at, at 9 or 10 o'clock, something like that. So uh, I, uh, I, one of these days I'm going to live up to uh, the expectation of preachers, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat chicken like it's going out of style. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to rest like everyone thinks that I do. I just ain't figured it out yet. But when I do, it'll be good, I promise. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5. I feel like I ought to say this this morning, and this is not me picking on anybody this morning, but if you go home and, and the Holy Ghost talk to your heart, um, I think that would be good. And I think that that would be needful. What I'm about to say has got nothing to do with our message this morning. It's just... Just an observation. Uh, do you think that your children are dumb? Do you think that your children don't ask questions in their heart that maybe they're afraid to ask you? Like here would be one. Why does my mother and father never come to the altar and bring our family to the altar as a family together and pray? I see the other families, but my dad never does that. My mom never goes. Do you think that they wonder that? I used to wonder stuff like that as a kid when I'd see other families participating in church and mine own looked. wonder why my dad don't give and tithe. Wonder why? wonder why my, my mother and father never brings our family to the altar. When, when, even when it's not just a spontaneous, but it's a special call from the pastor, bring your families to the altar. You think that maybe they've got some questions? I, I, I think they ought to pierce our hearts this morning. I think they know more than we think that they know. And I think they see past our, our, our facade of religion. I wonder why my, my father and my mother um, are different at home than they are at church. I wonder why they never apologize for anything. I wonder why they are one way here but another way when they get home. I wonder what would happen this morning if we'd just have Holy Ghost religion took over our heart and our life. That, that what we did here, we did there. And what we did here, we did here as a family. 
No, you're, you're not sitting in your pew while I go pray. You're coming with me. Let's go. And you're going to feel my hot tears drip down your neck. Brother Mark Stroud preached at the youth meeting uh, this weekend and, and Friday night, and he talked about Rizpah, her rock altar. Rizpah, uh, Saul's, uh, one of Saul's really concubines, maids. Uh, she had two boys that belonged to Saul, and when Saul was dethroned, when God took Saul off the throne and Saul died, uh, a, a, a nation came against and, and, and found Saul's sons and killed them. And she said, uh, Brother Stroud said that uh, they, they, they killed them two sons and, and Rizpah begged for their bodies and she got their bodies um, and, and the buzzards would come during the day uh, to try to get those bodies of those two boys that were dead. Uh, and she would fight off those buzzards and vultures during the day. They said the, the beasts of the, of, the, of the earth at night would come, the coyotes and the hyenas and the animals of that sort would come at night in the darkness and she would fight off them. Uh, and, and he said she'd take a stick and, and, and stick that stick in the fire and, and she'd wave that stick during the day when them buzzards would get close. And she'd wave that, that stick at night when them beasts got close. And uh, until finally word was sent back to King David, there's, a, there's one, of, one of Saul's wives, and her sons are dead, but she's trying to preserve them bones until something can be done and they can be buried. And David uh, came and helped and took over, and, and they buried them boys. Uh, but until then, she was going to fight whatever came during the day, and she was going to fight whatever came at night. Uh, and she wasn't going to quit. And I did not realize this till he preached it, but it was five months that she did this, day and night. Five months she, she fought them off, uh, waving that, that stick, fighting them off. And the message that he preached was, Preacher, that's what you do at church. You get up there and you preach and you fight off the buzzards of the day and the beasts of the night. Mom and daddy, that's what you do at home. You're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting for your children. There's buzzards coming. And he said if they're, if they're uh, them dead boys were worth fighting over, how much more our live children? He said the buzzards were coming and, and you're fighting off them powers of the air. No, you're not, getting my, you're not getting my kids through the internet. You're not getting my kids through TikTok. You're not getting my kids, you're not getting my kids in that way. I'll fight you if I have to. And them beasts that would come at night, them devils and them, them dark beasts that would come at night, and he'd light that, she'd light that fire on that stick. And no, you're not, you're not going to devour my young. Can't have them. Five months she did that till it got the king's attention. I think this morning that some of us have laid down our sticks because we're bitter. You ain't fighting no more. You're discouraged, you're bitter, you're mad, you're angry, and you've laid it down. And they're coming. I'll tell you something else, just because you're turned 18 or 17 or 19 don't mean the fight's over. I'll tell you what I'd do this morning, I'd pick up a stick, you can find them at the altar. I'd clear me off one in the woods at the house. I'd, I'd find me a closet in the back bedroom. I'd find me an altar at the church. I'd pick me up a stick and go back to swinging for my marriage. I'd go back to swinging for my children. I'd go back to swinging for my church. I'd go back to swinging for our youth group. Y'all help me now. These altars will help you and your children know they're not, they're not even fighting no more. They're not dumb. Well, I guess that is enough conviction for right now. Let's see if there's any more in the Word of God. Y'all good? Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Let's stand. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. What a statement. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the word of God, for the conviction of God. Thank you for the hand of God. Lord, I'm aware this morning that if you don't help me, I, I don't have much I can do or say. But if you do, Lord, there's no telling. Lord, if the, if the, if the truth of the word of God would flow through me because of your power and your hand, Lord, I'd sure be grateful. Lord, help us this morning. I ask you, please, we'll thank you. Give liberty in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. There's nine uh, Beatitudes. Uh, we've looked at the, the first two. Blessed are the poor in spirit, number one. Uh, blessed are they that mourn, number two. Uh, if you miss those, I would encourage you to go online and find them. Uh, and that way you'll, you'll know. I think, I think this is the fourth message, maybe fifth, that I've preached out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It'll give you a little bit of an understanding as to where we are. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at blessed are the meek uh, and what is produced by that uh, characteristic that the Lord Jesus gives to those that are his. Uh, I, I think this morning, if we're going to understand meek, uh, we're going to understand the blessings that come from being meek, uh, then we might need a little bit of definition as actually what uh, the word meek means. Uh, and a lot of times we, we, we water down words or we have our own preconceived idea of what a word is and, and probably for many as I, as I use the word meek this morning, you, you think of someone that's passive. You think of someone that's weak. You think of someone that is gentle to a fault uh, and they get run over and bulldozed and bullied and they're, they're timid and they're weak and they're unable to uh, care for themselves uh, but that is not the definition of meek and it's certainly not the Bible illustration of the word meek. Uh, let, let me give you the definition first off this morning. If you want to write it down, you can. Uh, in, the, in the Noah Webster, uh, the old 1828 dictionary, and I like using that one uh, because words change, but that that. That old English dictionary is in line with these words, meek. Uh, blessed are uh, the meek. Uh, it means, meek means mild of temper, uh, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, uh, yielding or yielded, someone who yields to another. Uh, but as I looked up that word uh, meek uh, in its context in the scripture, it takes on more of a meaning than just mild-tempered, mild-mannered, gentle, uh, soft, uh, not easily provoked, but it goes even further. The word meek, uh, in a divine sense, uh, is humble, submissive to the will of God, not proud, not self-sufficient. Uh, it is not weakness, but it is strength that is supplied from Christ and his spirit. It is opposite of that of arrogancy and pride and self-indulgence and self-interest. Uh, to be meek is to be, and I'll, I'll, I'll describe it just as simple as I can. Uh, to be meek in context of the scripture is to be submitted to the will of God in your life. And Jesus said to those who were listening to him, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have laid down their interest and placed it in the hands of God. Blessed are those who have laid down their will and placed it in the hands of God. Blessed are those who have laid down all of their rights of arrogancy and they have handed it over to God and said, my life is your life and you live through me like you want me to live. Uh, that would be illustrated uh, uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It would be illustrated in many times in both, but one illustration would be that of the slave that has been released but loves his master so much 
that he has said to him, I will be your bond servant. I will give myself to you that you, uh, because I love you, I will offer. You didn't take my life. I am offering that life to you. That's Old Testament illustration, and it did happen. Uh, then the New Testament illustration would be where Paul would say in many of his introductions, Paul a bond slave, or Paul a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that I have a will, I have a, I have a plan, I have a life, but God, I believe you're so good. I believe you've been so good to me that what I am, I give to you. Who I am, I lay down at your feet. You take my life. That is the thought of meek. And the Lord said that those that are meek are blessed and those that are meek uh, shall inherit the earth. And we'll, we'll look at all of that uh, in just a minute this morning. But I, I would say to you that that is awful odd and peculiar to our way of thinking. Uh, we, we hear this uh, in today's society, uh, and I guess it's always been, if you want it, go get it. Make it happen. Uh, teach your, your children to, uh, to uh, serve self. I, I hear people say uh, stuff like this to me. Uh, I, 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 uh, I've got uh, a lot going on, and if I have time, uh, I'll, I'll do this for the Lord. If I have time, I'll give this to the Lord. But, but, but I, if, if you're gonna get anywhere, you gotta go get it. If you're gonna get ahead, you gotta go after. And I understand the value of hard work. I understand uh, the value of, of, of living uh, your life to, uh, to be something or to do something. I understand all of that. But when Jesus looks at this crowd, he is looking at a crowd of arrogant, he is looking at a crowd of proud boasters, self-pleasers, self-indulgent. And he said, if you want to know the blessedness of life, learn to be meek. Simply submitted to the will of God. You know, you know why we get mad at preaching? Because it, it presses upon that that we really want in life. It presses against that. It, it goes against the, the grain of, of who we are and what we want. And we associate these characteristics with that of weakness. But you're never more strong than when you can take your will and set it aside and lay it down for the will of another, especially the will of God. Y'all talk back to me a little bit this morning. We, 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 we prize those that are big. We prize those that are bold. We prize those that are popular. We prize those that are rich. We prize those that are talented. And we say that is strength. And yet most of the time, that strength that we look at in them is is filled with a is a self-serving, a a self-indulgent, a a an ability to never tell oneself no, and we often overlook that one that does not have all of that, but they have learned to at, submit themselves to the will of God, and and we look at them and we say, I feel so sorry for that missionary who's in Africa. Oh, wouldn't that be horrible if God were to call me there? Uh, we, we, we say, I feel so sorry for that missionary who's in Venezuela. I hope God don't ever ask me to do anything like that because look how, I, I mean, look how uh, all that they had to give up. We look at the one as strength and the other as, well, they just, they just were poor and pitiful and God couldn't do nothing else with them and so he had to send them off. I've heard preachers say stuff like that before. I've heard preachers say, and it grieves me, makes me mad, makes me mad uh, that, that, that missionaries are, are, are men that couldn't preach, and so God sent them somewhere else. 
I'm gonna tell you something this morning. The strongest people in Crossroads Baptist Church are those who have learned to submit their will to the will of God. I don't care how callous your hands are. I don't care how big or how muscular or how, how manly or ladylike you are. I, I don't care about those things. The, the strongest among us are those who have submitted their will to the will of God. The leaders of the youth group are not always the most talented. The leaders of the church are not always the most talented. The leaders of, of, of the ministries are not always the ones who can do it the best and they've got the shiniest presentation and they've, and they've got the biggest church and all of these things. But, but those who are getting it done are those who have submitted to the will of God. It's meekness. Let, let me give you some illustrations this morning and I'll uh, preach the outline that we've been looking at as we've looked at every one of these Beatitudes. Uh, Abraham. Uh, Abraham in the Old Testament. Uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm using all of these illustrations to show uh, these men and women of meekness submitted to the will of God. Abraham was wealthy. Uh, Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was from wealth. Abraham was from a prominent family. Abraham, and, and, and a lot of times we, we, we assume that people that should live their life submitted to the will of God are those who they really have nothing but say, preacher, I have this money or I have this name or I have this business or I have these obligations and so I don't have time for that. Why don't, why don't God find someone who is poor or bankrupt or don't have anything and, and, and let them give their life to God? But Abraham was wealthy. Abraham was prominent. Abraham was premier in his society. And one day God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to leave all that you have. I want you to leave all that you are and I want you to leave and I want you to go to a land that I will tell you of and I will show you when you get there. How do you, do, how do you tell people? How do you explain that to family? God wants me to leave. Really? Where does he want you to go? I don't know. Huh? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, how do you know God wants you to go? Because he told me. Well, where does he want you to go? He didn't tell me. Well, how will you know when you get there? I, I guess he's just going to tell me when I get there. And he left all of that. I, he left everything that God had done, everything that God had given him, everything that God, that, that, that he had uh, to go live in the will of God. I would say to you this morning that that takes some kind of strength to do that. I think it's unfair for you and I to look at people who are meek and say that they are weak. Because no doubt Abraham offered a whole lot more strength than most of us have ever done. I think about Abraham as, as Abraham uh, uh, got word that Lot uh, had gone down into Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, he had known that, but he got word that some of the kings, I think there were four or five kings, had come into Sodom and Gomorrah and they had conquered Sodom and Gomorrah and they had captured Lot and his family and all of his stuff and they'd carried it away and someone sent word to Abraham. And Abraham, in his strength, Never batted an eye, but he took 318 of, of his own hired servants, 318 of his own trained servants. And he went after those five kings and their armies and he whipped every one of them. Whipped them. And brought back Lot and his children and his family. I'm trying to tell you this morning, Abraham was no weak fella. He's the kind of guy you want on your side. Why is it this morning that we say of, of Christian character, well, they're just weak. Why is it that men pride themselves in that they don't shed a tear? Why is it that men pride themselves in that they're not emotional of the things of God? Why is it that we pride ourselves in, in who we are and what we do and we look at those that are submitted to the will of God as weakness? I wouldn't say Abraham was weak. I'd say you wouldn't want to be on his bad side. 
But I'll show you where the meekness come forth in his life. He had no problem leaving Ur of the Chaldees and following God. He had no problem whipping uh, a nation and kings of nations. He had no problem looking at, at, at the king of, of one uh, uh, idolatrous nation and saying, I want nothing that you've got. God is my king. I want nothing that you have. And yet when he stood before his brother Lot, Genesis chapter number 13, there was a strife. And he said to Lot, he said, brother, we're brethren. He's his nephew. If anybody should have been the leader, if anybody should have been in charge, if anybody should have been the head honcho, who should it have been? Abraham. And yet Abraham looked at his nephew Lot who had come along, tagging along, uh, uh, come alongside the journey out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he looked at him and sincerely he said, Lot, you choose whatever you want. I'm not going to fight you. Lot, you choose whatever you want. I'm not going to fight you. Lot chose all the well-watered plains of Sodom as Abraham bowed his head and said, God, I'm going to wait on you to give me what you want me to have. I'm going to wait on you to tell me where you want me to go. I'm going to wait on you to give me instruction that you want me to have. And Lot rose up and said, here's what I'll do. But in the meekness that comes from submission to the will of God, Abraham, who had more right and more ability, said, I'll wait on God. I don't think I could call that weakness this morning. I'd, as a matter of fact, I'd say if we were one of the two characters, and let's, let's talk here for just a minute. If, 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 if the Bible story of Abraham and Lot were playing out this morning and me and you was one or the other, if you'd be honest, and I know half of you won't because I know you, if you'd be honest, you wouldn't be Abraham. You'd be Lot. And if you were Abraham, you sure wouldn't be acting like Abraham, and I might not be either. We'd say stuff like, well, I've been here longer than you have. I've been doing this longer than you've been doing it. I am more advanced than you. You came here with me. Abraham in meekness said, I'll, I'll let you decide because I have submitted myself to God and I know that what he wants me to have, he'll give. And what he wants me to do, he'll do. And where he wants me to be, he'll make sure I'm there. And if what you choose, if what you choose is what God actually had for me, somehow he'll figure out how to turn it around and give it to me. That's meekness. Oh, don't we need some meekness in the church? Don't we need some meekness in the home? That's why, that's why you still can't get along at your home because everybody is trying to be the one who's, 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 who's uh, the head. Everybody's trying to be the one who is uh, the preferred one and no one wants any meekness. I think about the verse, only by pride cometh contention. You know why you're fighting with people? Pride. Only by pride cometh contention. The reason why there's contention is there's pride. The reason why there's pride is there's a lack of meekness. You have not yet submitted to the will of God. It may not be exciting preaching, but it's certainly helpful if we'll hear it. I, I thought not just about Abraham, I thought about his wife Sarah. I don't want to spend too much time giving these Old Testament illustrations, but I thought about his wife, Sarah. Sarah was not weak. Sarah had followed Abraham anywhere that he had gone. She had stood by Abraham's side. She had, she had uh, lived the life that God had called him to live alongside of him. She had been a great helpmeet to him. One day God come to her in her old age and said to her, I'm gonna give you a child. And she began to laugh and did not believe it. God rebuked her. God did it anyhow. And her name, he changed her name. He changed her name from Sarah to Sarai to Sarah. He took the I off the end of it and exchanged it for an H. And, and, and someone that I, that I like listening to said he took the I out of Sarah and put an H into Sarah. The I stood for her. The H stood for him. 
less of me, I, more of him, the breath. God changed her will to his, made her meek. I, I thought about uh, Moses. Moses raised up in uh, Pharaoh's courts, raised up in the greatest schools of Egypt, raised up in the premier promoted places of life and, and all of those things. And yet one day he went out there and he saw what was happening to the nation of Israel, his people, and he chose to suffer with the people of God to enjoy than rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin. The Bible said he killed an Egyptian. Or killed a, was it an Egyptian or one? Uh, he, yeah, I believe it was an Egyptian. It may have been one of the Israelites who was over the other ones. I'm not sure. But he killed one of them. I think it was an Egyptian. Yeah, it was an Egyptian. Y'all are nodding your head and I'm doubting all of you. <laughs> he killed an Egyptian. And I don't think we ought to go along with murder, but I don't think God was really all that too mad about it because God was going to kill a bunch of Egyptians. He was strong enough to fight. He led that million man group of Israelites through the Red Sea around the wilderness for 40 years and he put up with all of them all of them independent Baptists. I mean you think of church our size and, and you think of all the opinions. Can you imagine a million Israelites? And half of them kin to you. There was times he would pray, God, would you just kill them? Just kill them all. And then there was times God would say, I'm going to kill every one of them. And he would say, Lord, don't kill them. I love them. You love them. He led them. He led his family. He fought for, for the will of God. I'm talking about a strong man. And yet numbers said about Moses that he was the meekest man of the earth. How could that be? That man who took another man's life, how could that be? That a man who smote the rock in disobedience to the will of God, how could that be that a man so many times said, God, I can't put up with him? I'll tell you how. Moses had learned to submit his will to the will of God and at the end of the day no matter what it was that Moses wanted to do he said but not my will but thy will I tell you this morning the meekest among us are those who have learned God I'll do what you want me to do and mean it I, I, I don't have time to keep giving you illustrations but I, I will say I will give you one or two more. David. David's strong. He's not weak. He killed lions. He killed bears. He killed giants. David uh, fought kings and nations and powers. Slew them. One. I'm talking about a man, a man of great strength and magnitude and ability. He fought God's battles and yet one day Saul tried to kill him and he said, I'm not touching God's anointing. He fought God's battles and wouldn't fight his own battle. Do you know why people fight their own battles? Because they think Saul shouldn't have treated me that way. I, I, I hope you're hearing me. We fight our own battles because we think Saul shouldn't have treated me that way and if no one's gonna do anything about this then I'll do something about this. So God will let you fight Goliath because Goliath is harming God's people and he's, and he's cussing God. And David said, David didn't ask no questions. God, is this your will? He didn't even ask any questions. He said, hey, you can't talk about God like that. He fought God's battles. But when they talked about him, well, I'm not touching God's anointing. The reason why you're always fighting with somebody is because you think that they owe you better. You think you deserve better. David would not fight Saul. 
God's anointing. It takes a lot of strength to submit yourself to that kind of bullying because it's the will of God. He would not fight Shimei. You remember Shimei ran out. He was kin to Saul. And after Saul's death and David was the king, Shimei ran out and said, uh, uh, he, he, he cussed David and he cussed David. And the men picked up their swords and they was ready to kill Shimei. And David said, leave him alone. Let him cuss. He said, David, we'll kill him. Cussing our king. He said, no, he's probably right about me. God probably sent him. Let him cuss. Let him talk about me that way. Who am I anyhow? Who am I that I should be exalted? Let him talk. Meekness. Submitted to the will of God. Strong in the areas that God would have him to live and to thrive. But when it comes to his own self, submitted to the will of God, whatever you want. I'll do it. I'll not question your will. Absalom overthrew his kingdom. Somebody said, why didn't he go kill Absalom? Well, number one, is his son. Number two, that was his battle, not God's. And he wasn't going to fight his battles. He was going to let God be God and fight his battle. And God did. David was considered a friend of God. Paul in the New Testament. His name was Saul, which means to be desired. When Jesus got done with him, he named him Paul, which means little of statue or little of stature. He took him from being someone that everyone wanted to be like to being someone that was little of stature because he brought meekness into his life. I'll tell you the greatest illustration of any of that ever is the Lord Jesus. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly. Meek. Jesus, if anyone ever had the right to stand and say, I am, he did. And yet for me and you, he made himself lower than a servant. He's made himself lower than the angels. A Philippian said, uh, whom being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Why is it this morning? I do not understand. I do not understand. Why is it this morning that we're so eat up with religious pride that the very Savior that saved us took upon himself the form of a servant that he might save us and yet we can't serve anybody. We can't serve anything except that which serves our flesh. And we're proud of it. Brothers and sisters in homes together, your brother and you live in a home with brothers, sisters, are you too proud that you couldn't just be wrong? And some of you, you've got loved ones in different states and you don't ever see them and the reason why is because you've never, you've never been able to submit to anybody or anything. You've never been wrong. You're bullheaded, stubborn and if you want any kind of blessedness in your life that comes from the blessedness of God, put a little meekness in your life. Oh, by the way, that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and that might be an indicator why you don't have it. Everywhere you go is contention. How come you're in the center of all of the strife? How come when you walk in the room, the air walks out? Oh, y'all ain't helping me or hearing me this morning. I hope you're hearing me. You walk in the room and all the air said, gotta go. You walk in the room, there's a great big old elephant that sits on the table. You're the elephant in the room. Strive. 
contention, fighting, anger, frustration. I'll tell you why this morning, because again, along with pride cometh contention. And while you're contentious, it is because you've never been made If you're going to get along with somebody in this life, spouse, you're either going to, ladies, beat that poor guy into submission. And ladies will do that. Not physically, but humility-wise. You ever seen one of them poor little old fellows, he's scared to death of her. Bless his little heart. I feel sorry for the poor fellow. I just want to take him home with me and say, it's all right. Come on. I mean, he's fun, happy-go-lucky. He enjoys life. She walks into the room and he curls up. Scared to death. That poor girl. He's learned the only way I'm going to live with her is I'm going to have to Live in this house with a brawling woman. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be on the other end. Always, oh she's coming. Let's go out to the yard. Hope she's in the yard. I think I need to go wash dishes. Ladies, if that's in you, why don't you recognize that and go home and tell God you're sorry, tell your husband you're sorry and get it right. And I'm not just preaching against the ladies because you, you, men can do that. You ever seen some poor Poor girl. She's been beat down, maybe not even physically. Every now and then one will do it physically. Shame on you. Hopefully never here. But emotionally, she's beat down. People who knew her in her past, knew her as a young lady, said she was so full of life and joy, but now she's just beat down. Because every word is negative. Every word is. Children get that way. You can compliment some children and it comes as such a surprise to them because they don't hear it at home. Never a compliment. It's always what's the next thing. Beat down. That poor wife, she's, she's scared to talk. So she don't. He's running around doing whatever he wants to do. He's got her beat down. It works both ways. What that fella needs. And what that lady needs. What they need in their home. To, you, you, can, you, can either, you can either snap the one into humility, which is never going to get you anywhere except just living with somebody who's afraid of you. Or you can take the place of meekness. You don't have to always be right. Do you know how annoying that is? Time out. Can anybody at Crossroads Baptist Church, can we just all agree that know-it-alls are so aggravating? I don't care if you're right. Shut up. Well, I'll tell you, actually, you're wrong there. Well, I'll tell you, actually, you're kind of dumb. I was enjoying being wrong. It's not that I can't learn. I'm trying to move on. But people who have that mentality, even when they are wrong, they'll double down, triple down, quadruple down, and then they'll make up lies. And we all know now, okay, you're wrong. You may be right on a lot, but you're wrong right now, and you're lying. Just, you know what? I don't know. That's a breath of fresh air. Come over here and hang out with me. I love hanging out with people who just don't know. Because none of us know it all. You just won't admit it. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'll tell you, I know. You ask me, I'll tell you. And if I don't, I'll be so confident in my answer, I'll make it up. And you won't know. That might have worked in 1992, but we got Google in our pocket now. And every one of us is Googling your answers. <laughs> my kids come home. <laughs> say, Daddy, I heard at school today such and such from one of the students. Okay. 
Or my kids will come home and tell me a fact as it's a fact. Okay. Every time. See if they're right. And it sure is enjoyable. You're wrong. Let me give you the outline quickly and be done. It's 12.30. I guess I've been preaching about 40 minutes. Didn't mean to. Let me give you the outline. Number one, this is a paradox. It's difficult because it goes against everything that we've ever heard. Clear your own path. Make your own way. Serve your own self. Prove your own point. And meekness is the opposite. Most stuff Jesus preaches is opposite of what your flesh wants to do. I want to win. I want to be right. I want to be served. I want to be promoted. I want to be premier. And you can throw rocks at me all you want, and some of you do. Well, he's the preacher. He just thinks he just. And the reason why you're mad about it is because you want it too. You want to be the one. You do. I do. Your flesh. Jesus said, no, we're going to give you some opposite of what you actually want. And that is that I'm the one that says, okay, fine. Okay. Lot, you take whatever you want. I'm just going to wait on God. Okay, I was wrong. I am wrong. Three words, hardest words in the English language to say, outside of I am sorry. Let, let, me, let me ask you a question this morning. If your spouse, sitting here this morning with you maybe, had to honestly answer in a way that he wasn't scared of your backlash, are men your wife had to honestly answer in a way that she wasn't scared of your backlash. Could she remember the time, could he remember the time, the last time that you said to your children or your spouse, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Maybe it's something as little as an attitude or an argument, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Meekness is that of a servant. Could they bring up the time, the last time that you did some act of service for them that you wouldn't get anything out of? Oh, I'm going to tell you something this morning. I'll quit preaching. I'll be, I'm done. We'll, we'll have to finish this up maybe, maybe next time. It is a paradox. It goes against everything you are. It is progressive. It comes on the heels of the last two. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When, when a man comes to the end of his self, poor in spirit, and he, and he kneels before God and he said, I'm nothing. And he becomes a mourner over his sin. Look what I've done. That's repentance in his life. I'm a sinner and I'm nothing. I can't save myself. I can't live for God. And he begins to mourn over his sin. Then he has not that hard of a problem submitting himself to the will of God because he's come face to face with the fact that I'm really not worthy. I'm really not who I want to be. I'm really not who I want people to think I am. I'm really not what I think I am. And he submits himself in meekness to the will of God. God, God not my will, but thy will be done. It's a progression. It is in you if you're saved. It may not always come out of you if you're saved, but it's in there. It may be deep down in that well, but you keep putting that bucket down in that well and it's there. If you're saved, the ability the knowledge, the heart that takes wrong and serves. Meekness. And here's the, I guess I am finishing it. Here's the product. 
Lastly, here's the product. He said, blessed are they that are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I believe that's twofold inheritance. I believe that is now and in the days to come. Days to come, the eternal reign of Christ, or the millennial reign of Christ, rather, a thousand-year reign. Those that are his, God's going to give us that that we lost in service to him. But I tell you this morning that right now, there's some things that God would like for you to have today. and They will not come except through the avenue of meekness. They'd be yours. You, you ever... Uh, you ever seen someone that, you can come on to the piano. They didn't have a whole lot down here, but you couldn't convince them of that. Because somewhere along the line, they'd submitted themselves to the will of God, and they knew that everything he's got is mine. And if I have need of it, he'll give it. Most Americans and most Christians even are trying to go after something, work after something, go get something. And I think you ought to work and go and do. But in the middle of that, if you'd, God, here's my life. Here's my money. Here's my children. Here's my wife. Here's my, here's my husband. But here am I. I give you myself. You can leave knowing that whatever I have need of, he's going to take care of it. I can give him all I got and trust him right now. The disciples, you say, I thought the devil was in control of the earth right now. He is, but he's still God's devil. He's got the keys to some things, but God's got the title deed. You remember the disciples came and said, Jesus, we need to pay our taxes and we don't have any money. He said, well, y'all are fishermen, ain't you go fish? They went and fished and pulled up a fish with enough money in it to pay their taxes. Whatever you need in earth, he's got for those that'll submit themselves to the will of him. It's there. Lord, thank you this morning. I've preached enough. Take the thought now. Help us. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. It's ours in the day to come. It's ours now to a degree. What we have need of. Lord, would you help us to submit ourselves genuinely to the will of God in Christ's name. Let's stand all over the building. If God spoke to your heart, would you come? This morning, talk to him. Lord, help me be meek. Help me be meek.